What's up, kinfolk? Welcome to the number one college football show. I am your host, RJ Young. Thank you for watching on the Fox Sports app, YouTube, or listening wherever you get your podcast. Today, myself and producer Tyler Wojak are going to answer your week nine mailbag questions. Our last mailbag before we get into the college football playoff rankings, in which case we will shift our focus almost certainly to those and totally to those. And I want to welcome in producer Tyler. Tyler, how you doing? I'm doing well. A lot better than I was feeling last week when we were taping our mailbag. How about yourself? Um, It's homecoming week, hence the letter jacket that I have on with the big TU. I get to wear my letter jacket this week, so I'm feeling pretty good. Though we might get beat down by a quarterback named Preston, which feels like an insult, but I'm here. Wow. Hopefully no Prestons are listening to the show right now. Uh, They know their name. It's okay. (laughs) All right, you ready to get into some questions? Yeah, man, let's go. All right, so our first one, fans submitted a question. This one comes from Carly, who asks, what has to happen in order for Penn State to upset Ohio State? This is an interesting question, especially as this game is in Happy Valley, but I want to hear from you, Producer Tyler. What do you think needs to happen here? Okay, so initially I was going to completely dismiss the notion that Penn State could do it, but then the last time we did that was when Michigan-Penn State, someone asked, could Michigan win by 20-plus? We were like, no, there's no way that's going to happen, and that's exactly what Michigan did. Now, we're talking about a different team, Penn State here, but I think the only way you're going to beat Ohio State is just play keep away from them. Nick Singleton is probably going to have to rush for 150-plus at least. Uh, Sean Clifford's not going to be able to turn the ball over at all, and basically you just have to hope that you give Ohio State limited opportunities on offense, and Penn State has to capitalize pretty much every time they get the ball to not only score, but take long, methodical drives, and then... Uh, you got to kind of hope for a lucky break or two somewhere along the line to keep you in the game. But that's that's really the only way I could see them pulling this one off. I tend to agree. I would also say this is a great time for Joey Porter Jr. to put on for his Jim Thorpe Award-winning performance in being able to take away maybe Emeka Ibuka or even Marvin Harrison Jr. It's a tall task, though, because as you said, Katron Allen and Nick Singleton are going to have to carry the load You're going to have to be able to play keep away, maybe keep the ball for 35, 40 minutes when we're talking about time of possession. And your defense is going to have to be outstanding. And by that, I mean, as long as we are here, I want to talk about this. Ohio State is operating on a level that 2018 Clemson was operating on. So 2018 Clemson averaged more than 44 points per game and gave up just over 13 en route to going 15-0. Ohio State is averaging 49.6 points per game And given up just under 15. This is an offense and a defense that has been outstanding. Now, for the folks that want to say, hey, this is going to be the first ranked opponent that Ohio State has ever played, you're right. Clemson played all of two ranked opponents before they got into the college football playoff and sunned Notre Dame and then sunned Alabama. It's like that. When you are this loaded at the skill positions and this loaded up front, you can do what you want to people. Also adding here, I'll say it, Penn State, has won one football game against Ohio State since 2012 and never in the Ryan Day era. This is also a Penn State offense that would need to hold them to under 50 and then put up perhaps 35 to win the game. I'm just not giving them that much room for error here, and I think that Ohio State has demonstrated, even against an Iowa, they can start really, really slow and then drop 38 on your head to finish out the game. So There's some things you can do, but most of them are miraculous. And I don't know that they have miraculous in the bag or on the playbook in Happy Valley this weekend, Tyler. 
Yeah, I agree with you. I don't really see it happening, but again, I'm hesitant to just completely dismiss it. It is college football. Anything can happen, and it is in Happy Valley, so I'll give Penn State the benefit of the doubt. But let's move on to a question that you asked this week. Deion Sanders and Jackson State in the spotlight. So you asked, where will Deion Sanders be coaching in 2023? It's a fair question. A lot of people chimed in with their opinions. So let's go to our first one here. Uh, this one comes from Benar Khan, who says, I think the best spot for him and the school is Miami. What do you think? I think that's a good choice on par with USC. It's a private institution that cares about its football. And it's one in which Deion Sanders would have the South Florida recruiting area to his advantage. And this is a man that has been really great in recruiting over the last couple of years, has the best recruiting class in the FCS. And also it's power five conference uh, and a power five program, right? Miami also has its own, shall we call it um, chain around its neck where it doesn't seem to know how to get out of its way here since 2002. Maybe Deion Sanders could overcome that. I don't think that's a bad option. I don't think it is either. I think Miami fans might be a little hesitant because just a few months ago, they were super excited about Mario Cristobal. And I know that the mm. season hasn't really gone to plan for them, but I still think there's reason to be hopeful about him in the future. But we'll see. This next one comes from uh, Optimistic Longhorn fan. And uh, Optimistic Longhorn fan says, I'm going to say Auburn. Again, another coach or another program with a coach currently on staff, but we all know how that's been going over the past few months. It feels like Brian Harson is on borrowed time. It has been since February of this year when they didn't sign anybody during the national uh, during, during the signing day period. And there was a lot of folks trying to actually get him up out of his chair, out of the job. So it feels like that job is going to come open in the near future unless Auburn has a miraculous turnaround. But also in here, I don't think that Auburn is a good football job. I mean, Gus Malzahn was doing as good as anybody has done there since maybe Pat Dye. And he beat Nick Saban, and yet, what did he have to show for it? A kick in the butt on the way out. Now he's at Central Florida, and they are a one-loss team with an opportunity to play for a conference championship and maybe backdoor into the best spot for a group of five team in the New Year's Six Bowls. I just don't see that as a place that really would let Deion Sanders be Deion Sanders, which is what you would be hiring. If you want to keep the controls at Auburn, that's not your man. To add to that, who's the athletic director? And would that person be interested in going to get a Deion Sanders? I don't think so, and I think it's nice to be mentioned, but I would turn that job down, Tyler. Yeah, and I get why, too. I mean, I have a lot of respect for Auburn fans in the program, but their expectations are extremely high. Now, it doesn't help that their in-state rival has dominated the sport for the past decade plus, so I understand when you're comparing that to your rival, you're going to have lofty expectations, but if Dion were to go there, I don't think he'd really have a whole lot of time to turn things around. Uh, but let's move on to our last one. This one comes from Gido. Shout out to Gido because they're always in your mentions and, and have submitted a few questions in the past, so glad we get to showcase them here. Uh, who said They say, he's staying at JSU. I think that's where he can do the most good and be the most beneficial right now. How do you feel about that? Appreciate Gito for being engaged with the content and really enjoying the show. I think that this is the move in 2023. I don't think that Deion Sanders is going anywhere. I think he will be coaching at Jackson State next year and perhaps continue this run of undefeated football in a new era for Jackson State. And this is actually a great opportunity to talk about what differentiates HBCU football and Jackson State from the rest of college football. Many of you will know that it is an HBCU, meaning historically black college university. 
And one of the things that makes HBCU football important and also unique is the classics. Okay. The classics are HBCU bowl games. Those are the ones that matter. The Orange Blossom Classic used to decide the Black College Football National Championship. Now, we don't necessarily need to do it anymore, but we enjoy the tradition. Just as you enjoy your traditions, your traditions, say the skull sessions at Ohio State or being able to see the walk at Oklahoma or touching Howard's Rock at Clemson, the classics are what you have in HBCU football. As a matter of fact, the Bayou Classic is one of my favorite games all year because the pageantry around it is such a big deal. That'd be Grambling versus Southern. This weekend, you'll know that the big game for Jackson State is against Southern in the Boombox Classic. Now, if Jackson State beats Southern and runs the table and gets to the SWAC championship and wins the SWAC championship, they will play in the Celebration Bowl against the MEAC champion for what we are calling the Black College Football National Championship or the de facto Black College Football National Championship. Now, there are other HBCU conferences, but this is the tie-in, right? And this is traditionally how college football works. The tie-ins and the rankings decide who plays for a national championship and who does not. Now, the FCS playoffs will begin before the Celebration Bowl is played, which means that in all likelihood, a Jackson State that wins a SWAC championship does not play in the FCS playoffs. You'll also know, fam, you had an opportunity to do this last year because they lost to Jackson State in the in their division, and Jackson State was playing for a championship, and fam, you was not. Also underscores just how meaningful it is for Deion Sanders to be at Jackson State because there are many people who just don't know this history or never had a reason to learn this history or were never asking the questions of what's going on at Jackson State, which, again, full credit to him for. But I'm also going to add here, while he has had the best recruiting class in FCS, he also knows he does not have the guys he needs up front defensively and offensively to play at a very high level. That said, North Dakota State's athletic director asked in August if they could schedule a game with Jackson State, knowing that they're the best program in the FCS, and Jackson State is the most popular program in the FCS, and Jackson State said no. You'll also notice Jackson State's schedule does not feature a single FBS opponent, which is another way of saying they're not taking the guarantee game because it is much more beneficial and important to Jackson State and Deion Sanders that they have an opportunity to run the table undefeated because we're talking about them because they run the table undefeated. We don't particularly care that they snuck past Campbell. We don't particularly care that they have to go play Alabama A&M. What we're looking at is the wins and the zero losses. And when that zero becomes a one, people do not care as much about your program. That's how college works. We don't care about conference championships so much. We care about did you run the table undefeated against what we think is something like competition. And for Jackson State, they are playing competition. The SWAC is a difficult conference in as far as they play in it. But I also think I, I'm on Deion Sanders being at Jackson State because the good he can do. There are lots of players who he can affect, who he can change their career paths just by being connected with him. You're seeing this with his own children, Shiloh and Shadur. Shadur had a sit-down with Michael Strahan on big noon kickoff. We've never done that for an HBCU. We've never done that for an FCS program. We're talking about the dude on GMA, the one of the best sack masters in all of football, and quite frankly, uh, a gorgeous personality, in one Michael Strahan having a conversation with Shadur Sanders because he signed Tom Brady. Now, 
Tom Brady is still Tom Brady. And for Shadur to be connected to Tom Brady is one thing. But it's also because Deion Sanders has that relationship with Brady where Shadur gets to say to his uncle, Tom, hey, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? And continue to develop. If he can extend those sorts of connections to the players on that roster, my goodness, could you change the fortunes of a university that is up against it? It's no secret that Mississippi is one of the poorest states in the union, right? I was raised there. I spent the first nine years of my life in Hattiesburg, just down the street from Southern Miss. My family is from Hattiesburg and Jackson in Rankin County. That at one point, we're talking about not even having drinkable water. So for you to be able to be Deion Sanders where you are and turn this thing into the kind of program that people are proud of, the I love, that, that intrinsically has to mean more. That said, if you are going to leave Jackson State, please do not leave Jackson State for anything less than Alabama. I've said it. My plan would be, hey, Nick Saban is going to coach for as long as he's going to at Alabama. I know that he signed an extension through 2074 or whatever. But then I would say to Deion Sanders, hey, we have a spot for you if you want it because we have the resources and the fan base to let you go win. That's not something Georgia Tech can say. That's not something that Auburn can say. You have to be looking at programs on that level. And right now, all the programs that are on that level where you have the financial and fan base backing that you would need to compete for national championships are taken. So I think we're going to sit here and wait through 2023 and possibly even 2024, 2025 for Deion Sanders to just run it up until such a job comes open. And then he could say, yeah, I want to go see what that looks like. Or no, I'm going to do good here at Jackson State. Uh, Producer Tyler, what do you think? Well, a couple things. One, mm. I don't imagine the person who has to replace Nick Saban. There's probably very few people in the world who are up to that task. But I would think that Deion Sanders is probably up for it. One quick follow-up. You think they've ever talked about the succession plan during their Aflac commercial tapings? Think that's ever come up? You know, it I doubt it because they had a <laughs> they had a spat, right? Right. They had a spat that needed to be cleaned up, kind of like Nick Saban getting in with Deion Sanders and Jimbo Fisher in the same year. Didn't know that it was gonna be on the 2022 bingo card, but I'm sure that Nick Saban is on his Kobe Bryant. Uh, my favorite Kobe Bryant quote is. Hey, Kobe, you're getting long in the tooth. You've blown out the Achilles. Are you passing the torch? To which Kobe said, I'm not passing expletive. I think that's where Nick Saban lives. I'm not passing anything. I don't care who's got the job after I have it because I got it right now. Right. And he just signed that long-term extension, too. I don't think he's looking at the finish line anytime soon. But you brought up Jimbo Fisher. I'm glad you did because that's a good segue into our next question. One that you asked and one that you and I talked about earlier. So I'm glad that you posed this and we got some more opinions because you asked, who do you trust to figure it out in the second half of the season? Iowa, Michigan State, or Texas A&M? Three teams who, good programs, but have had relatively disappointing seasons thus far. So let's go to our responses. This one comes from Brian Brooks, who says, got to be Michigan State. Iowa is who they are. Plus, I think Mel Tucker is a good coach. How do you feel about it? I like this. I like this because Michigan State has also demonstrated it can reel off 11 wins and get to a New Year's Six Bowl game after winning just two games, right? We also know that Mel Tucker is about modern football, right? He's going to recruit hard. He's also going to recruit and say, hey, name, image, and likeness is part of the game, so let's create a program that allows for these guys to build their name, image, and likeness around Michigan State football. It's very smart, right? He's uh, walking hand-in-hand, I think, 
with Tom Izzo over there, which is not a bad guy to be recruiting next to. But also, I think we're coming into a game that's going to matter for not just Michigan State, but Michigan. Because this is a game that Michigan State has, frankly, had a stranglehold on for the last about 14 years. Matter of fact, got the stats here just a second. I had done this uh, this work a little bit earlier in the day because I knew that we were going to talk about Michigan and Michigan State. But since 2008, Michigan State is 10-4 and four versus Michigan, which is wild to think about. But also, when only Michigan is ranked, they are 26-11 and 11 against Michigan State, which means that an unranked Michigan State has beaten a ranked Michigan 11 times out of the last 37. And I think this is a great get-right game for Michigan State. I think they're looking at this game going, no, 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 we got the measure of you in Ann Arbor, and we the state school. We get it how we live. We ain't even got air conditioning in East Lansing. And we can't wait to give it to the Michigan men. I think if you put on like that, yeah, I would expect Michigan State to finish out in the second half of the season. But again, it's not just Michigan. It's the Big Ten East, which is just a juggernaut division. So, yeah, I think I'm in on this one. I think I'm going to pick Michigan State out of the three, but I still want to talk about the other two, Tyler. I'm glad you do, because our next response, this one comes from William Stinnett, who just sent a gif of the Texas A&M flag. I got to admit, things have not been going too well down there at College Station lately, but William, he's not giving up. I, I, I respect it. Holy smokes. Um, all right, so behind the curtain here, there's nothing Tyler and I like doing more than talking about college football in all facets. So when the news came down that Texas A&M was suspending three of its star freshmen indefinitely, we went, holy cow, this is after you just lost to South Carolina, which was definitely not supposed to be on the bingo card in 2022, after signing the number one class ever of all time. And then calling your own press conference so that you can shoot down Nick Saban saying you bought your class, which, okay, fine, do that, but then go beat Nick. And you couldn't beat Nick. And now we're talking about taking a loss to Appalachia State, putting money in the bag, talking about getting right against Miami, and then dropping one to South Carolina that you should just beat down everybody with. And I looked at the schedule, Tyler. They could beat, and I'm just going to say it, 4-8 and eight by the end of the season, which, again, me, I'm going to dunk on myself here. I had this as a top four team going into the, the preseason. You were at the And hell one. was I wrong about that. But I got off that bandwagon just as quickly as I could. And now we're staring at Jimbo Fisher being the guy at AM for the foreseeable future because his buyout is a reported $80 million. And not even AM fans got that kind of money laying around in the couch cushions. Only thing I have to say about that is. College football fans can't agree on anything, but they can agree on dancing on Texas A&M's grave because I have not seen college football fans so unified in anything more so than just laughing at the demise and, and just everything that's gone wrong in College Station this year. And I think part of that might be because of Jimbo Fisher's, I guess, personality, the way he approached this offseason, how just the mere notion that they would pay their players, he completely dismissed it and then attacked pretty much everyone who did it. I think he even made a comment about Bro Bible or something like that at one point during the course of the offseason. So it's been a rough stretch for him, but I guess for everyone else, it's been pretty fun to watch. But we got one more. This one comes from St. Berg, who says, I guess state, but the answer really is none of them. And I, I kind of have to agree. Look, man, 
it's it's tough sledding this time of year when we're talking about teams that have underperformed. And all three of these teams, Michigan State, Texas A&M, and Iowa, have underperformed. Although the one that has shown us the most on the field has been Iowa. Its defense has continued to play like the number one defense in the country. They are able to score points for you, which is found money. And yet Iowa's offense can't turn that into something like fuel for the fire. I really feel for Iowa's defense because they deserve even a competent offense. With a competent offense, maybe you're a one-loss team, maybe a two-loss team. But you are still very much in the hunt for perhaps the Big Ten West, which, you know, right now we feel like Illinois might be at the front up, but we'll see how that continues to go down. I'm really shocked that we're in this spot with these three teams because I obviously thought the world of all three of them. But as we're getting closer to November, it's getting to be very clear what the flaws are and what can be fixed. And I think Michigan State still has some things that can be fixed. Basically, they got beat down by some injuries and some really untimely defensive back play. But I think you can mitigate that. I don't know what you do about Spencer Petras and Alex Padilla as quarterbacks at Iowa. And I don't know what you do about the culture in Texas A&M. To your point, everybody agrees that they can dance on Texas A&M's grave because Texas A&M ain't never been smart or quiet about being good. They're always the first people to tell you that they are good. And they're always the last people to tell you that they're bad. Nobody likes being around that person. As a matter of fact, this is a conservative sport, so I feel fine saying this. Humility goes a long way in college football. It goes a long way. People want you to act like you've been there, even if I'm the kind of person that wants you to know. Act like this is your first time every time. However, when you're doing that in your three and four, it's just a bad luck. And even I will say when I'm beat or when I'm wrong. That just doesn't seem to be in the cards at AM. So I think Michigan State has the best opportunity to do this. Iowa's defense is going to have to score 25 in a game. And then AM, we'll just have to see. Because again, the bottom is not in sight yet. It's probably going to get worse before it gets better, Tyler. Oh, this without, is outstanding. Without I, I'm, a doubt. I'm glad we did this. And it's going to be really interesting to follow because even as the season goes along, that's just one thing, right? We all know about the recruiting class that they signed this past season. A lot of the guys that are suspended right now, they're all freshmen and highly touted freshmen at that, too. So, this is going to be the first real study in the NIL era. Okay, what happens when these recruits that were allegedly paid go to that school and then they want to transfer out? What happens to that money? Where does it go? That's the thing that's going to be really interesting to see because if these guys start to leave, then all of a sudden those paychecks don't cash, and then we could be looking at a much bigger problem and something that I think in a way the rest of the college football world will be watching as this sort of plays out. So we'll see. Iowa is Iowa. Uh, they were on my band list until we went to that game this Saturday, and I have to say they were certainly entertaining, uh, especially when Petrus, or excuse me, Padilla came in in the second half and immediately fumbled, and then they brought Petrus back in, and then he threw a pick. I laughed. I thought it was funny. But, yeah, all these teams, I think Michigan State probably has the best chance to get out of this, and they have a great opportunity to get that going this weekend. I think you're right. Uh, I'll add to this, that any person that's drawn up a contract for name, image, and likeness and makes it contingent upon finishing your time at school, I'm not signing that contract. I just wouldn't take the money. Like, I want to get paid either way. That's how this works. Like, you want to buy me out, that's okay. Or I want to go somewhere else, that's also okay. I'm not certain that this is really going to be a referendum on the name, image, and likeness era. I think it's just going to be a referendum on how Texas A&M tried to use it, right? Like right. that that part 
is really what's hair raising because if you did, for instance, let's just assume the bag man showed up to each one of these recruits and you're not getting your money's worth, cool, you want to go somewhere else. But I'll go out on this. Mac Brown famously wanted to hang on to his Texas Longhorns program because he knew he had a damn good class 2011, 2012, 2013. And the last thing he wanted was for someone else to win with his players. I can understand why Jimbo Fisher would want to hold on to this job for dear life because the point you raise is valid. Freshmen mature into sophomores, mature into juniors. That perhaps can lead you to an SEC, if not a national championship. All right. My thanks to you, producer Tyler. Thanks so much for doing this. Of course. Always a good time. And that is going to do it for our episode of the number one college football show this episode of the number one college football show my thanks as always to lead producer Tyler Wojak our senior producer is Catherine Donovan that is Chaz directing us tonight our social media maven is Javion Duncan our lead of screening is Rachel Cohn I'm the host RJ we will see y'all live Saturday night that's it for me deuces